you have to create a place where people want to work, especially in today's economy. You can get a job anywhere like employers need employees right now. So how are you going to stand out? I think is the biggest thing. And one, I think that starts with your hiring process and your onboarding and just creating like a fun process that's like enjoyable to go through. But also I think it's about giving your team members a piece of the pie, like letting them in on, you know, different decisions and bringing them into different conversations. Welcome to the Coffee with Courtney podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Marie, web designer and CEO of Courtney Marie & Co. After building a multiple six-figure design agency, I wanted to create a podcast to share everything I've learned and am still learning to help you grow your business. Each week, you'll hear from me and other experts, share tips on branding, marketing, business, and so much more. So if you're ready to learn how to run a successful business and stand out online, grab your cup of coffee and let's dive in. Okay, I would love for us to start um, by just sharing more of your story, you know, how you got started in the online space. I know you have a little bit of background in corporate, but um, yeah, just share more about how you got into what you're doing. Yeah, so um, I studied operations in college and right after graduation, I took a job as a district manager for Aldi after interning with them the summer prior. And I was a district manager. So I'm literally 22 years old, managing five really high sales volume stores and their respective store managers, as well as their entire teams. So I was managing about 75 people total. And I essentially was responsible for making sure that the stores were performing. So hitting their KPIs, um, that customers were happy, the stores looked good. We didn't have you know old expired product on the sales floor. And I had to do that by learning how to really manage them um, and teaching them how to manage their teams as well. So while I was there, I hired over 100 people um, through different hiring events. I managed several different remodel projects. Um, but the, I guess the biggest takeaway was really just learning leadership and almost redefining it. Like you think when your team is struggling, you need to roll up your sleeves and get in there and do it with them. And there is a time and a place for that. But a lot of time was being spent in um, like crisis mode. And so the team could never really step into their full potential. Mm-hmm. So over the course of about four and a half years, um, we took them from being one of the worst districts in the division to one of the best. Um, we decreased turnover by 30%. Our managers were you know, able to work normal hours. They weren't working until nine, 10 o'clock anymore. And on the side, I had always, you know, wanted to be an entrepreneur. I've always been one, honestly, just little side gigs here and there. Um, and at the time, I had an auto brokerage with my dad, so that's the the business that helped me quit my job. Um, but eventually, like I, I kept feeling this pull to get back to operations and to get back to team building. Um, and so I, it just kind of clicked for me one day that entrepreneurs are just like my store managers, where you know how to run your business, you know how to serve your client, you know how to do the thing, whatever the thing is. But then when it's time to hire other people so that you can do it on a bigger level, it it's just really difficult because there may not be enough you know, experience or education there. So my goal as an agency and team operations coach is to really help entrepreneurs incorporate some of that corporate structure into the flexibility of their small business and build a team that can help them scale without, you know, all the stress. I love that. 
And I would like to dive in deeper. What are, can you walk us through the process of what are some of the things that you had to do um, in order to take your team from performing at their worst to their best? Like what were some strategies that you use in that process? Mm -hmm. So in my role as a district manager, I think the first thing that I really had to do was realize that what I was doing wasn't helping. Um, I thought that I needed to come in on the weekends and ring on the register and help them, you know, un, 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 unload the truck and do all those things. But in reality, I was only continuing to make the problem worse. And so I had to stop micromanaging. I had to take a step back and do what was uncomfortable, which was looking at the business as a whole and figuring out like, what is the actual problem here and how can we find some solutions for it? Then I think getting really clear on what everyone in the business was supposed to be doing and trying to get back to that as soon as possible. And once we were able to do that, like things picked up relatively quickly. Um, so yeah, I would say those are like the number, the top one and two things that, that we did. Was it hard to implement new systems and habits because they were probably used to a certain way? Like, did you have to fire people, bring new people on? Like, what did that look like? Absolutely. So actually, when I came in, um, the DM that was there before me did not really put a lot of effort in. Um, and so there was a lot of theft going on. There was really bad morale. There was a lot of people coming in late, people on their phones. So I, I had to kind of clean house in a way. You know, some people we were able to like have developmental conversations with, but a lot of people were just kind of too far gone. Like this is just a job for them. They're not interested in doing any more. Um, and so, yeah, we probably let go about half the staff when I started. Um, and brought in a whole new team, um, did some really advanced training with all of them. And the, the team members that remained that, you know, weren't terminated or didn't decide to quit, they were like eager and ready to get to this better version of what, you know, their jobs could be like. Mm -hmm. So that was one thing. And then with my managers, they were very excited to, for things to be better. But, and I think this applies to business too, it sounds great to get to a point where you're only working five hours a day and, you know, your efficiency is high and your team is engaged, but like there's a lot of hard work that comes in between that. Mm -hmm. And so I think my managers were excited, but throughout the process, I really had to make sure that I was keeping them motivated and empowered throughout the process because there were some really long nights, you know, there, there's days where we have to come in and reset the entire back room because it's a mess or change all the prices on the sales floor because they haven't been updated and they're all incorrect. And so doing some of those like long projects, it's, it's laborsome, but it really set us up for a lot of efficiency, you know, just months down the line. And what do you think for online businesses? What do you think keeps people there like keeps people wanting to keep working for you. I think that's a yeah. huge thing in the online space. Like how do you get people to want to do the work and to grow with you? Um, because it's not just, Oh, they like their job. There's something more. Um, but what would you say that is? So there's a, a lot of different things that you could do, honestly. So I think the biggest thing, the overarching thing is 
you have to create a place where people want to work, especially in today's economy. You can get a job anywhere like employers need employees right now. So how are you going to stand out? I think is the biggest thing. And one, I think that starts with your hiring process and your onboarding and just creating like a fun process that's like enjoyable to go through. But also I think it's about giving your team members a piece of the pie, like letting them in on, you know, different decisions and bringing them into different conversations. I think a lot of times we do our team a disservice because we're more just telling them, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. And then we're surprised when they don't want to take initiative and they don't want to go above and beyond. But it's like, well, how could they? All you said was do these five things and that's it, right? Mm -hmm. So I would say taking a, a simple task and turning it into you know, a project that the two of you can collaborate on, that they can bring their ideas in on. I try my hardest to give my team different projects and stuff to work on with as little to no rules as possible. Like this is what needs to get done. This is the end result that I would like, but I don't have, I don't care how you get there. Like do what, you know, makes the most sense for you. We can collaborate, we can talk about it. And then it just makes it something more fun and exciting that, they're able to actually open up their potential within versus I need you to do this. And I want you to follow these exact steps. And if you don't do it this way, then it's not right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like, we kind of have that with the agency. We have a set process because like with web design, there's so many little moving parts that we, we right. cannot miss. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you could tie that in having the fun, playful part, like as long as it gets done by this, you can work at midnight, you can work at, I don't care how you work. Mm -hmm. Um, What are some other things that would make people want to stick with you for the long haul? Yeah. Also, I think just taking an interest in who they are as people, um, not seeing them as just a number. I always tell my clients, I want you to think back to some of the worst jobs you've ever had and think about the way your boss made you feel and like, what were those things, right? And then how can we create systems within our culture to not make people feel that way? And then on the flip side, what are some of the best jobs you ever had and how can we recreate some of those things? And so if I think about the worst jobs I've ever had, it was when I was micromanaged, when they told me I had responsibility, but then they would go behind my back and change my decisions, um, when they didn't trust me to do my job well, um, when they spoke really like negative t- negatively to me, not in a constructive way, but just like them taking out their own frustrations on me. And so on the flip side of that, it's how can we have really proactive um, you know, feedback within the business? How can I make sure that I tell my team members that I appreciate them? How can I celebrate them at every opportunity that I have and let them know that like they could be anywhere in the world, but I'm so glad that they're here with me. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then on the micromanaging tip, right. When people are coming into your business, um, like during your onboarding process, I like to ask the question, like, how do you like to be led? Tell me about some of the best bosses you've ever had. And then I can kind of take that internally and know like, okay, Ashley loves when I check in on her every hour. She feels really supported when I do that. But Susie does not like that. Susie feels really, um, you know, she, Susie feels like you. Don't, I don't trust her if I'm checking in with her often. And so meeting people where they're at, leading people differently based on their specific needs, like makes all the difference. So, and notice I, I have said nothing about money. Like I've said nothing about pay because pay is a really big part of it too, right? But money does not keep people. Like I was being paid 
over six figures in my corporate job. And I could not wait to get out of there because the money didn't matter. It was the way that I was being treated. It was the culture that had been created. So you as the entrepreneur, just really taking the time to carefully craft your culture. Like that is one advantage we have over these big corporations. They already have stuff set in stone. We don't. We can write our own script for how we want people to work and how we want people to feel when they're, you know, working within our business. Let's dive into that team culture. Like what makes a good team culture? Because I know I've made the mistake like hiring off of skill versus mm-hmm. like, oh, would they fit the team culture? And I found out, oh, like maybe not. Um, so talk about that. What are how do how does someone know what culture like how to create that? What are some things they can do? Yeah. So culture is one of those things that just feels extremely intangible. Like, how do I actually quantify what this is? Because it just sounds like a bunch of fluffy words. Um, so I think some of the most critical pieces of your culture, if you can just figure out a couple of these things, you're going to be well on your way. One, your core values. That is always first and foremost. And core values go deeper than just, you know, honesty, integrity. Mm-hmm joy, you know, like really thinking through not only what are the company values, but how do we actually practice them? I always tell my clients, the word is a lot less important than the actual like action behind it. So Mm -hmm. if the word is, you know, um, acceptance, right? If acceptance is one of our core values, it's way more important that your team understands how do we practice acceptance? What does it mean to be accepting? What does it mean to not be accepting? And giving them like a guide for how to honor these values, right? So that's first and foremost. If you have that, a lot of the actions that you may be worried about or scenarios you may be worried about, they work themselves out because your employees have these core values as like a guide, right? So that's one. Communication is another. I think really understanding how does communication flow within the business and what does it look like? It looks different with every team. So you're going to have some teams where communication primarily happens with, you know, the associate level team members and then the leadership team, they meet separate, but then you have some teams where everyone meets together. Right. And so just understanding like, what is the flow of communication look like? If I need something, who do I go to? Mm -hmm. Do I go to the CEO? Do I go to the operations manager? Do I go to the VA? Like, how does that communication flow? So that's one. Another one is feedback. How do we give and how do we receive feedback? Is there a schedule for this? Is there a way, is there a framework for how we give feedback to one another? And feedback should flow in two ways. It's not just the boss telling the team members like what they could do better. It's also allowing the team members to give that same feedback, you know, to, to the boss. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think if you can get those top three, like you're going to be in good shape, but there's so many other things that go into it. Right. Like um, thinking about like not benefits in the sense of, you know, a limited vacation and PTO and that kind of thing, yeah. but more so like, I have a lot of moms on my team. And so something that's really important to me is flexible work schedules. And so it's not just like a benefit that's posted on my job description, but it's a part of our company culture because the people on my team have two very important jobs, right? Like they're here working with me, but they're also raising a human. And so giving them the flexibility to jet out at 12 o'clock and be off for a couple hours because they have to do something with their kids, but then being able to come back after, like that's a really, really important part um, of my company culture. So I could go on and on, but 
I feel like those are a couple steps to kind of move you in the right direction. Yeah. And I like that you said not like everyone is different. Cause I know one of the things when I first started getting a team, I was like, well, everyone says you have to do like Monday meetings. So we're going to do every week. And then I backed off to once a month and now we're back to every week now that we've grown, but Mm -hmm. um, maybe talk a little bit about what are some necessary things that you're your team should be doing or you should be doing with your team and what are some things that it's really different for everyone? Yeah. So absolute necessities. I do think you need a meeting schedule. So maybe you don't meet every week. Um, My team was meeting every week. Now we meet bi-weekly, except if we're in the middle of a launch, then we meet weekly. Um, But a meeting schedule, I never want anyone to have the type of team where it's like, if we need a meeting, we'll call one. There needs to be like a regularly scheduled time for that to happen. Um, And maybe explain the importance of that. Yeah, yeah. So your meetings can look different depending on the dynamic of your team, right? So you may be, if you have a smaller team, you may be meeting with the whole team. If you have a bigger team, you may be breaking up into departments. But meetings are important, not just for like, this is what I need you to do, because really all of that can be done in your ClickUp, Asana, whatever project management tool you're using. But getting together to collaborate on ideas, to strategize what's coming next, to look back on things, right? If you just came through, you know, if you just wrapped up a bunch of clients or if you just had a launch or something, it's important to meet with your team and debrief how that went and to strategize how we can do it better in the future, right? If you're planning for the next quarter of, let's say, marketing, like it's important to do those things together because it allows everyone to get on the same page. It also is an obvious culture builder because everyone's in the same room, you know, kind of collaborating on ideas and whatnot. Um, but yeah, like you, you really can't replace that. Um, and I, I see a lot of people trying to be more efficient. And so instead of having meetings or just delegating tasks and sending out Slack messages and that works for the sake of getting the task out, but it, it doesn't promote that sense of, of unity within the team. Yeah. I agree. I I feel now that we've done like weekly, it's nice to see them every week and just like be social. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I like that aspect. Um, And and so you were going to go into some other Other things. Yeah. So then other necessities for your team. So we talked about meetings, having a, a place where communication happens. I would almost encourage you to have like an SOP for communication Um, so let's pretend we have the scenario of Slack and ClickUp. Um, what happens a lot is, you know, a lot of conversation gets lost in ClickUp or it gets lost in Slack, or I even have some teams that are still using Voxer to communicate. And what happens when you don't have a clear, um, framework for how communication should happen is messages get lost. People get overwhelmed, um, things get looked over, things get skipped and overall your efficiency goes down because you're spending so much time just looking for like, what did she say about this thing? Mm -hmm. So just having a clear structure around that. Generally speaking, you want to reserve your project management tool for only managing tasks and whatnot. And if any conversation is taking place, it's like within the task itself about the task. 
Um, and then you want to segment your Slack channels as much as possible. So if you only have like two channels and one is like general and then one is, I don't know, something else, then you are not even scratching the surface of how efficient your communication could be. We have maybe 15 channels divided by departments, divided by launches, divided by... Um, what else? I mean, I guess that's that's probably the gist of it. Like we have a marketing channel, we have an ads channel, we have an escape the grind channel, which is a workshop that we run three to four times a year. We have one for Grindaholics Anonymous, which is my program. And what that does is it, it sounds like it would be overwhelming, but what that does is it allows that only communication about that thing is taking place within that channel. And so it's just really easy for communication to flow. And not all team members are in every channel, right? So they're in the channels that are um, relative to them. So that's another thing I think is like a non-negotiable, is a really clear way of communicating. Everyone on the team needs to know what communication goes where. Um, otherwise you end up with those scenarios where like a team member's emailing you and then someone else is sending you a DM on Instagram and someone else is sending you a Voxer message and it's just hard to juggle. It's not hard in the beginning when you have one or two team members, but once you have five or six, it's like a dumpster fire. And same thing with like clients, like making it clear, this is a one channel that we use. Otherwise, like you said, they'll be in your DMs, they'll be on your phone. (laughs) You'll be super overwhelmed. So it's like, those are two things that I think are required regardless, but kind of going into the second part of your question of like, what varies depending on business, I think it's the same. Like it's required that you have this, but communication may look different depending on the type of business, you know, that you're in. Um, And then I also think, you know, on the, on the side of things of like, how's it, what things are different for different people. um, I think, you know, working hours, um, response times, turnaround times. Like if you're running an agency of some sort, your turnaround time may look different than a different agency's turnaround time. Um, having a clear onboarding process, your onboarding process may look completely different. So there's a lot of things on that side where it's like, it really depends on the business that you have, but required nonetheless. Yeah. And I want this episode to kind of be geared towards people who maybe have hit six figures and they're looking to hire their first team member or they do have maybe four or five team members. So since we are kind of in that second phase, um, I'd like to ask you a few questions. You know, we talked about culture. What would you say, you know, let's say someone has a team, they've done the team culture, they feel like they've built a team, but what advice would you give them as a manager? What if someone isn't doing the work? I'm sure that's a common question that you get asked, like, oh, like, I have this great team, but, you know, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. How do I do that? Do I need someone else? Mm -hmm. Um, What advice would you give them? Yeah, so it's a tough one. happens to everyone, I promise. Um, So there's a couple of steps that you can go through. The first um, step, obviously, is to have a conversation. First, you're going to want to think about, like, what are they not doing that I would like for them to do, right? So what is the discrepancy? But then also asking yourself, have I communicated that expectation? I think that's the very first part. Have I communicated this expectation that they're not meeting? And if you haven't, then you're going to handle that conversation a little bit different, right? So sometimes we haven't communicated the expectation, yet we go into the conversation saying, you're not doing this. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, well, 
I didn't know I was supposed to be doing it this way, or I didn't know you needed it in this amount of time. And so if you haven't communicated the expectation, sometimes it's just about wiping the slate clean and starting over and like resetting those expectations, right? I like to call it re-onboarding your team to an extent. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that conversation can look like, you know, hey, Susie Q, like, Mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've enjoyed working with you over the past this many months. And now that we're into a groove, I kind of want to like re reset the tone here a little bit. And I, I want to get on the same page about how this relationship can be the best for the both of us and maybe establishing some KPIs or something like that and measuring them day to day. On the other side of it, if you have communicated the expectation and they're still not meeting the expectation, then I think it's just about having regular conversation. I think the biggest mistake we make is that we let it bubble up, right? We we just hold on to all this resentment and we're getting frustrated. We're telling our friends about how terrible they're doing. We're telling everyone except that team member, right? And so just having a, a candid conversation and kind of going into it like, hey, so you know, we've been working together for this amount of time. And while you are doing really well in some of these things, here are some areas of improvement that like we really need to start working on. How can I, as your leader, support you? in meeting this expectation, whatever this expectation is, right? And then making it collaborative and the two of you working together to figure out how can we get this person performing where they need to be? Sometimes Mm -hmm. it looks like more training. Sometimes it looks like more follow-up. Sometimes it's just a conversation. Sometimes they just started slacking off a little bit and they needed someone to hold them accountable. Um, But the more regular you can have this conversation, whether things are going really well or really bad, the more normal it's going to feel to have conversation when things aren't going as well, right? Like we have to start working that muscle of having conversations about performance. Um, And then I think the last part of that is when you're having this conversation, you talk about how the two of you can work together to, to fix it, creating a very tangible action plan. Like this is what we need to see in the next 30 days. How are we going to do this? Let's schedule a follow-up conversation for this date. That way you have that follow-up conversation. They're expecting it, whatever. Things still aren't going well. Maybe you set another follow-up and then you can start having those conversations. Like if we don't see you know, improvement by this date, we may need to have a different type of conversation. And that's kind of how you can navigate through that whole process. Yeah, Sometimes- I love that. I love that there's like steps like, hey, and you've, you've approached it very, um, very professional in a way of like not coming at them. But like, hey, how can we do this together and then follow up? I think that's Mm -hmm. really good. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you, you, you have to remember that you're working with people at the end of the day, right? A person who has emotions, who has things going on in their own life, who has maybe insecurities that they're working through. A lot of times, if I think back to like my corporate experience, a lot of times people aren't asking for help because they're embarrassed because they don't want to, you know, disappoint you because they've been doing well up until this point and then they started slacking off and now they're really hard on themselves about it. And so they're just beating themselves up. There's a lot of things that, that could be happening. And then it kind of circles back to that culture piece, right? Of like creating a culture where people are okay with saying, Tatiana, this, this has been taking me way longer than normal. Like I want to talk to you about like how I can get better at this because Mm -hmm. I'm really not happy with my own performance lately. Right. Like you can create a culture where people take that much responsibility for their own performance before you even can do that yourself. Yeah. That'd be amazing. 
<laughs> um, so speaking to the entrepreneur with a team, how would you give them or guide them? Maybe they, how would they know if they need to bring on another team member? Yeah. So let's pretend we're talking about like an agency. Would you mm -hmm. say most of your audience's agencies? A lot of them are coaches or like course creator or course creators. Okay. So it always essentially boils down to capacity mm -hmm. and capacity is easy to calculate depending on the type of business that you're in. And so what capacity means is just identifying what is the, what is a hundred percent look like for this person? What is a hundred percent full plate look like for this person? And being, you know, cognizant as time goes on to notice when they're starting to get to their capacity, right? Um, or even you, right? Typically you made a hire because you were at capacity and you needed to, to bring more people in. But the biggest thing is instead of waiting until the person is at 100% to make a hire, you want to wait until they're at like 60%. Mm. Because I'd say around 70 to 80 is when work quality starts to decrease, right? So we want to hire people, you know, before it gets bad, essentially. Um, and I would say that is a good rule of thumb if it's like another person in the same role. So if you have, you know, a co-coach that's helping to run your program, that may be a sign it's time to hire another co-coach. But if it's something different, like if it's like a completely different role, I think it's about kind of going back to the beginning and looking at your org chart. So everyone should develop an org chart for their business, um, which is essentially you looking at the long-term vision of the company and mapping out all the team members that it's going to take to make that happen. Mm -hmm. So then you can have your org chart. Let's say at the top, you have you, the CEO, then you have an operations manager, maybe a marketing manager, and then a respective marketing team and an operations team. Like let's pretend that's your, your, structure. Mm -hmm. Well, once you um, have built this, then you can kind of start to look at the order. Like, when do I think I'm going to need to hire these people, right? Like, well, first I'm going to get my operations manager. And then once we get running and, and, and grooving, I'm going to hire a copywriter to support my marketing manager because she's having to write a lot of emails right now. And so you can kind of predict it in that way versus only being able to look at like when people are overloaded, you can also begin to predict like, when new departments need to develop or when completely different team members kind of need to come in and support. Yeah, I love that. So would you say you hire someone and then you don't take someone to 100%, like you keep them at about 60, 80% capacity yeah. or what does that look like? I mean, that's, that's my personal preference. I don't want anyone on my team at 100. I don't want to be at 100, so I damn sure don't want my team at 100, you know? Um, so I, yeah, I would say like 60 to 75% is probably good because that's when you're going to get the best work quality. That's when people are going to be enjoying their jobs the most. And that's when they can really like be creative and think outside the box and really meet their potential. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that would be, that would be my thought. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I just learned a lot from that little clip. <laughs> I'm like, I'm at 120%. Yeah. Um, and then if I could just say one more thing, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. what happens when you get to 100 um, or even over 100 is our mind starts making bad decisions for us. Like we're like, I need someone yesterday. Like I'm just going to hire yeah. a body. Like I just need to get someone in the door. Yeah. Right. We all have, trust me, even me. But it's like when you are at 70% and you're looking ahead because you have this beautiful structure in front of you, when you're at 70% looking ahead, not only can you make better decisions, 
but you can take more time on your hiring process. You could be more picky. You can take more time to train this person and onboard this person and develop them because you don't need them at 100% today. And it almost starts this nasty cycle because we're over 100. So then we hire someone else and we expect them to be good immediately. And then they're not. And then we put pressure on them and then they quit or they get fired. And it just kind of goes over and over and over again. So yeah, if you, if you see it, slow down. Slow if down. you're at, if you're at 120, uh, fire slow, fire fast. Right. If you're at 120 right now, it's not going to kill you to be at 120 for another two weeks. You've already been yeah. doing it, you know? Yeah. So like you might as well pump the brakes, do it right and get someone in that's actually going to stay and last. Yeah. I love that. So are there any other, before we kind of, um, get into, I guess I could just jump in. What would you say for the person who is wanting to hire? What would be a good first hire? Ooh, that's that's a. Um, that's I know it's a- different for everyone, but generally speaking, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, well, first I'll say this: you want to map out all the tasks that you're doing day to day in the business, and then you want to kind of categorize them based on like what's a skill, what's not a skill. What do you enjoy? What do you not enjoy? And use that as a a framework to figure out who this first hire should be. So I have this free resource called a task matrix, and it allows you to put everything into these four quadrants. And so the bottom right quadrant is the things that you don't enjoy doing and that you're not good at. And what we can do is look at that list. And if that list is screaming marketing tasks, we most likely need a marketing support person. If that ta- if that list is screaming administrative, maybe it's like a VA or a project manager. If that list is all things client, so if you run if you're an ads manager and it's all things like the meticulous things of running ads, then maybe it looks like hiring another ads manager, right? So it's really about looking at your individual things. But I would say generally speaking, for your coaches, consultants, it's typically someone who can help with marketing or administrative tasks. And for your agencies, it's typically someone who can help with client fulfillment. So someone who can be another you, essentially. Um, And then it, you know, kind of goes on and on if it's a brick and mortar or if it's, you know, those types of businesses, but that would be like a a general rule of thumb. And what would they look for? Like, what are some things that they would want to look for when making that first hire? Because I know going back to, you know, when you first hired, when I, it's scary, right? Like you're, oh my gosh, I have to not only pay someone to hopefully have them get a done, I have to manage them. Uh, what are some things that they should look for? Yeah. So I always encourage my clients to hire the expert. I mean, I think that's what you should always do, but definitely for your first hire, you don't want to just, you know, cut corners and hire someone who just started offering VA services a couple weeks ago, Mm -hmm. like pay the money for someone who's been in the game for a minute and can come in and like actually help you and create some systems. And the reason why I say that is because you likely don't really have experience with, you know, managing a team just yet. You likely, especially if it's like a a systems person that you're hiring, you likely don't have the skill set to train them on what they need to be doing, right? So I would say like save yourself a little bit of heartache and hire the expert, like pay eight to 10 more dollars per hour to get you know, someone in who can like just take off with you. And then as you develop in your business, hire more beginners and and train them and develop them. But I just think more entrepreneurs should be honest about like 
their capacity to train someone. And I think it's it's glamorous to say like, it's okay, they don't need to have the skill set, you can train them. And I think that is true, but I think there's a time and place for that. Um, so yeah, I would- certain examples? Um, because I'm so glad you brought that question up because you would save yourself some money because if you do it like the cheaper way, you might have to keep doing it the cheaper way until you find yeah. the best way. Mm-hmm. Um, but are there certain roles maybe that mm-hmm. you would suggest, okay, let's find someone who we can train and develop mm-hmm. in this position? Yeah. So I personally am at the point now where I'm starting to hire more people that are beginners, I guess you could say. And so I hired an expert to be my marketing manager. She's my marketing coordinator. She came in, she helped us create some really good systems around marketing, um, a really good cadence for when we send emails, when we send text messages, how we create content. And so now we're in a position where we can hire people with you know, a, a more beginner skill set and train them because we have an existing marketing ecosystem to build off of. Mm-hmm. So that, I guess that would be like my example is like maybe hire your first person in that department as like the expert, and then you can build the team around them and, and have the space and time to really train them and build them up. Um, same thing with like interns, right? So a lot of times people are like, yeah. I'm just going to get an intern. It's, it's free labor. <laughs> right. Um, when in reality, the internship is mostly to be beneficial to the intern so that they can gain that experience. And so now we're hiring about two or three marketing interns. They're going to come in, they're going to work and support the marketing manager and almost help us kind of define what we want our marketing department to look like, right? Mm-hmm. And we can teach them this is how you use Canva, this is how you use Active Campaign because, like, we have those systems that kind of exist already. Yeah. Um, I had a question now. I, I lost, I lost my thought. It was a great question. Where would you, where would someone find, or where would you tell them to go look for these roles? Yeah. Is it, Facebook, is it social media? Is it indeed? Is it LinkedIn? Mm-hmm. Um, what are your suggestions on that? So in my program, we teach the very traditional hiring path, which is through Indeed, LinkedIn, Glassdoor, um, you know, all those types of, of websites. And we do also have people posting on Instagram and Facebook. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I do think that when we post on social media, it tends to be, hey, I'm looking for a VA. Comment if you're a VA and you're ready to be my VA. Lots of those. <laughs> and then you get 300 comments. Um, links to portfolios, websites, you're overwhelmed, you make a bad hiring decision. Um, Whereas when you craft a really solid job description that speaks to who the company is, who we're looking for, it almost acts as a magnet to that person, right? And then when we put them on like the more traditional job sites and stuff, you're just opening up your eyes to candidates that you would have never looked at otherwise. Typically when you're only posting it on social media, like you're just looking at the same, you know, 400 service providers that follow you. Right. But there's a whole world out there of people that could potentially work in this job well as well. Um, Everyone on my team with the exception of one person was like a displaced corporate employee or um, they were kind of hopping around doing different freelance gigs and that's how they find me. found me. None of them had this like online experience, anything like that. Um, my operations manager was a former um, OBM who decided to um, close her business. So that was one person that 
came from online. But yeah, I just think you you can get candidates that you never imagined when you open up your your um I guess limits to yeah. the the people that you allow to apply for the job. What are your I'm glad you brought that up. What are your thoughts on hiring someone who has their own online business? I think it's totally fine. I think it just has to align for the both of you, right? So you need to think about the future of this role and where you want it to go and if that's going to work for you, right? So example, my tech VA, Leah, is incredible. We've been together for a while and she has four or five other clients, but it works because she does tech for five hours a week and that's the only commitment that I need from her, right? Whereas my marketing coordinator... I mean, we work together 40 hours a week. Like she's, I needed someone that could only be working with me. I also didn't want someone that was going to use like a copy paste strategy that they use with their other eight clients. Right. So it's really just about what am I looking for here? My ads manager, she runs an agency. She has, I'm sure seven, eight other clients, but it's okay because I actually enjoy her using her specific process. And it is the same thing as she does with her other clients, but it works really well for me. You know, she custom crafts it for me, but like she came in as the expert and I didn't have to give her any guidance. She knew exactly what to do. She could guide me, so to speak. So there's nothing wrong with hiring entrepreneurs, but it, it needs to be, it needs to make sense for the role. Yeah. There's, there's some roles that I I don't want to hire someone that has their own business and has eight other clients, but it really just depends on where you want to go with the team. And what la- my last question, um, any suggestions, any advice on pricing, paying, um, yeah. employee, like employee versus subcontractor, I'm mm-hmm. sure it starts as subcontractor, but you could go many different ways with this. What, a- what would be maybe some tangible tips for that? Yeah. So typically with contractors, they're setting their own rates. So it's more of like you two agreeing that that's what you're willing to pay. Um, on my job descriptions, I like to put a range of about $5. So like this role pays 25 to 30 and then they apply. And if it's a, if that range is good for them, then, you know, and then we can kind of handle that in the salary negotiations. Um, but then on the employee front, you know, I think it's really important to do like some competitive analysis you can use something as easy as glassdoor.com to just see like what other companies that are similar to yours, right? Like if you run a digital marketing agency, you don't want to look at some digital marketing agency that has 700 employees because that's probably not going to be along the same lines. But yeah, just looking at roles um, that have comparable responsibility and looking at the pay there. That way you can kind of see, okay, average I'm seeing is $40 an hour. How can I, you know, be competitive, but also within my budget, I'm going to list this job at 38.50 an hour. You know what I mean? Um, So there's some research that needs to take place for sure, but it always comes down to the the negotiation conversation. Yeah. Oh, so good. So good. (laughs) Is there anything else that you would like to share that you think they would need, like they need to know this when building a team or if they already have a team? Yeah. Um, I think the number one thing I would say is like, the online space is going to confuse you. It's going to make you think that running a business is all about making money, having clients, having good social media content, creating reels, and Mm -hmm. having a cute OBM or something, right? (laughs) And while it's great to have all of those things, the OBM is not the cure for everything, right? So my number one piece of advice would be 
put the same amount of energy, time, and effort that you do into your marketing and your sales into your team and your operations. Because what happens, and this is why I have a job, what happens is people put so much money and time into that part. They build their business up. They have all these clients. They have this full wait list and then they can't handle it because they don't have the support. They don't have the infrastructure. They don't have the systems to to manage it, right? And so you can do it different by choosing to put in that amount of effort up front. And the easiest way you can do that is by blocking off a couple hours on one day a week to go through your team, figure out what support do I need, writing better job descriptions, um, creating a couple SOPs every week, reevaluating how we manage our clients on the back end and seeing how we can tweak it. But like blocking off intentional time to invest in how your business runs. Everyone says they want their business to run like a well-oiled machine, but that doesn't come without work and without attention. So that would be my, my advice. Without <laughs> late nights and stress. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But, but you it pays off in the point end. where you can now sit back and relax. Exactly, exactly. I love it. Oh, this has been so good. Um, so I like to wrap up with two final questions. Uh, mm-hmm. First one being, what book has had the biggest impact on you and why? Yeah, so um, there's a book called You Can Have It All, Just Not at the Same Time. And that was probably the best book I've ever read. And I think it's because as an entrepreneur, I'm very, I don't know, task oriented. I just want to do everything, right? Like I'm trying to juggle all of these things while also wanting to maintain a personal life and a social life and all of those things and getting in shape. And it just puts a lot of perspective into the ideas around multitasking and you know, always scrolling on social media, um, all this unnecessary pressure we put on ourselves, fake deadlines that we make up, like this has to be done by this date. Um, And I think it really allowed me to operate from a place of just fullness and not, you know, feeling depleted, which is sometimes how I think we can progress through life is just, we're just trying to get it done. We're just trying to race against the clock. But just, I don't know, opening my eyes to the fact that there is no clock. Like it, the, the clock can move as slow as you want it to. Yeah, I love that. I need to add that to my list. I have it's such a, a long list for this year. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one. Yeah. Um, last question is, what advice would you tell your younger self? Ooh, honestly, similar to the book. I would tell myself that like, it's okay. You can slow down. Like, you don't have to make a million dollars this year. Like you can or at all, like, right. It's not your goal. It's not, you know, right. Or at all. Like you can, you can have it all. Like you can have a really successful business, a happy team, a happy home life, you know, really investing in your health and fitness without burning yourself out mm-hmm. and stop comparing yourself to everyone else around you because you don't know what's happening in their lives behind the scene. You only see the highlight reel. Yeah. I just wrote a post about that. It was something about like, uh, let's call the elephant in the room or something like the person who posed, I had a $50,000 launch without saying I only profited 10 K, you know, Mm, like only see the highlight reel. So I love that. Love that. Well, this has been great. Where can people find you? On Instagram, all day, every day. It needs to not be all day, every day, but on Instagram 
at underscore Tatiana O'Hara. And then we also just started a new account for our coaching program. And you can find that at Grindaholics Anonymous. And who is that for? Grindaholics Anonymous? Yeah. It is for entrepreneurs, doesn't matter the niche, doesn't matter the industry, um, who are at a point where they're at capacity and they're either ready to make their first hire or they already have a team and the team just isn't functioning as well as they could. They still find themselves working a lot of hours. So the program is designed to help you get really clear on your vision, to help you streamline the way that your business runs, um, and then to help you build a team strategically of A players who can help you really you know, move the needle within your vision. Our number one clients are coaches, agency owners. Those are probably the tops. But then we also have quite a few product-based businesses, some brick and mortar businesses. We have people in healthcare. We have law firms, accountants, like candle makers, you name it. Oh, I love it. Cool. (laughs) Really cool. Well, thank you for coming on. This was so tangible. I love this team building is like you said, super important and needs to be focused on more. Um, So big thank you for being here. Yes. Thank you for having me. All right, guys, we'll catch you in the next episode. As always, thanks for listening. And if you love this podcast, don't forget to subscribe or leave a review on iTunes and share it with a friend or on Instagram to help support the show. If you want additional resources to help you grow your business, you can find them on my website at CourtneyMarieCo.com or below in the show notes.